0: You may be seated. Well, we are continuing on in our Growing Up Sacramental series. And in last week's sermon on sacramental kiddos, Father Aaron talked about the strong and natural and really good desire that most kids have to grow up, to get older, to be big and strong and mature, and have more and more of the freedom and power and even the responsibilities of a big kid and eventually an adult. This was really relatable for me. I remember being in the single digits and longing to be 10 years old. I remember being 10 years old and imagining how fabulous it was going to be to be 16. And I remember being 16 and wondering what life was going to look like when I was 21, a real adult. When you're a kid, you have the sense that adults get to do all the important things, all the important stuff. It might even be a little glamorous. After age 21, as the years go by, at some point, for most of us, there comes a time when you realize the shiny glow of adulthood has begun to dim. (laughs) The freedom and power of becoming an adult recede, and the responsibilities of adulthood come into much sharper focus. You begin to realize that much of the stuff that adults have to do doesn't seem important at all. It's not only glamorous, it doesn't even seem meaningful a lot of the time. There's a never-ending stream of meals and laundry and bills, and email and bureaucratic bureaucratic hassle to churn through, day after day, sometimes manageable, and sometimes soul-numbing, but rarely feeling important or meaningful. And at the other end of the spectrum of adult experiences, when some really important, really meaningful responsibilities crop up, they seem like they're way too important to trust ourselves with, You may have had the experience when something really big is going down. Maybe it's a medical crisis, maybe a friend contemplating suicide or a crisis pregnancy. There's a huge blow up at work, and you look around for the grown up in the room, the one with the wisdom and the experience and the stability to deal with it, and you realize with a sinking heart that you are the adult in the room, and you are terrified that you do not have. What it takes. Coming of age is a phrase that describes that move from childhood or adolescence into adulthood. And in literature and film, the arc of a coming of age story involves a young person leaving home, literally or figuratively, overcoming, facing the scary challenges of adulthood and processing the disillusionment of growing up and then returning home, wiser and more willing to make positive changes in his or her world. Coming of age when it happens is a beautiful and a powerful thing. And many cultures have special rituals to mark this transition. In the church, coming of age is even more than that. It involves an active response to the call of a holy God on our lives. For those who were baptized into the community of faith as infants, it's time for an intentional and personal yes to the faith that was passed down to us in community. The sacramental rite of confirmation is a way in which churches that practice infant baptism mark this coming of age. Young people in the church have a formal opportunity. To take ownership of their faith, of the calling that God has on their lives, and to follow their leaders on a course of discovery that culminates in the laying on of hands by the bishop for the release of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives in the rite of confirmation. But just as new life in Christ begins at baptism but continues on and on after it, Facing the challenges of adulthood, the coming of age, is marked at confirmation, but it continues through a lifetime. The the right itself is a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but the experience of recognizing that God is calling you into greater and greater maturity, of of meeting new challenges and shouldering new responsibilities, is something you experience again and again. Think of the elderly patriarch, Abraham, called by God at 75 to leave his estate behind and face a new challenge of leading an enormous household on a crazy nomadic journey. Or of Elizabeth, who was called to transition to motherhood for the first time well past childbearing years. The challenge of leaving what we've known in order to take on new responsibilities that God calls us to And to grow up to that and into that can happen at any time in life. And almost every time, it's daunting. So, this morning, we're going to sit with a young man named Timothy as he reads a letter from his mentor, Paul. Timothy, at this point, has already been ordained as a minister of the gospel. And there's actually a really strong overlap between ordination and confirmation. And we'll go into that a little bit later. But even though Timothy has been ordained, he is facing a new challenge in his life and his ministry, and he is in need of some spiritual confirmation. To confirm means to strengthen with, confirm, to strengthen. Paul is writing to his spiritual son Timothy from prison. Timothy knows that Paul knows that he will be soon executed by Emperor Nero. Paul's time on earth and his ministry here on earth is ending, and the spiritual torch of leadership is passing on to Timothy and his generation. It's not an easy time to be a Christian in the season that Timothy is called up and into adulthood. In fact, this letter, even though it's only a few chapters long, references suffering and shame more than any other book in the Bible. The world that Timothy is inheriting from Paul is one where if he chooses to follow Christ, Timothy will not only endure suffering, as Paul did, but also the shame that accompanies suffering. In human experience, there's a deep connection between the experience of shame, of suffering and an experience of shame. A couple weeks ago, I prayed with a woman who was traveling for business in Chicago when a car ran up onto the sidewalk and struck her. And the physical trauma of the accident and the two emergency surgeries that followed it brought up a lot of guilt and a lot of shame for her. She kept replaying the accident in her mind, trying to figure out if she could have made different decisions, if she had done something um, she could have done something else that would have prevented it. As a young adult who ought to be making her own way into the world, she was now going to be almost totally dependent on her mother, who was recently widowed. There's shame that comes with suffering. Uh, Where we feel weak, we feel shame. And Timothy was coming of age in a time where being a witness to Christ meant that suffering and shame was going to dog his steps. Not only that, this letter describes Timothy's world as a place where people are departing from the truth, mishandling the truth, turning away from the truth, opposing the truth. Timothy in his calling he was called to contend for truth in a context where truth was hotly debated vigorously contended in all of these ways the world that paul was leaving to timothy is not so different from the world that older christians today are leaving to the care of younger christians there is still a strong temptation to avoid shame and suffering that will come our way if we follow christ And there's still a grave need for men and women to contend for the truth of the gospel in a confusing time. We need confirmation also. How marvelous, then, that the same God who is calling you forward to face new challenges today is the same God who spoke through Paul to confirm and strengthen Timothy. In this morning's text, Paul has three affirmations and one exhortation to Timothy that we can be strengthened by as well. You can look in your Bibles or your bulletins at 2 Timothy chapter 1. First, Paul affirms the faith that dwells in Timothy, given to him by God through the people of God. Paul writes in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Timothy is qualified for the challenges ahead because God has given him a sincere faith that dwells inside of him. Just a little further on, Paul writes that God saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The purpose for your life, the calling for your life, is given by God, and he gives you the faith to move forward and enact it. And this affirmation is kind of a twofer. Not only is there an indwelling faith in God, But by referencing that this is the same faith that dwelt first in Timothy's mom and his grandmother, Paul is deliberately raising Timothy's awareness that he is not alone. As Paul exits this world and goes on to the next, as he passes that torch of life onto Timothy whom he is raising up, he affirms that both of them, Paul and Timothy, are connected to those who went before In fact, Paul has intentionally placed himself in the same stream of life earlier in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. As we come of age and face the challenges of a new era, we are meant to be deeply encouraged, strengthened, confirmed by this reminder that we are just the latest generation of believers. God has safely preserved this precious deposit of faith through the hearts and minds and lives of generation after generation of believers, and he will do the same for your generation. There is a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on from the other side of the grave. Second, Paul affirms a gift of God that is in Timothy through the laying on of hands. In addition to this rich, precious deposit of faith, Timothy possesses a gift from God. In verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. God provides the faith that every believer needs, but he also gives special gifts particular to each of us based on the calling and the good works that he's prepared for us to do. Scripture teaches that even before we were born, God has marked out specific good works for each of us to do. And then he actually equips us uniquely to serve in the way that we've been called. This true spiritual reality is echoed in classic folk literature like fairy tales, where the hero or heroine receives supernatural gifts like seven-league boots or the ability to talk to animals, gifts given to help them on their way Um, to accomplish their tasks. And God strengthens us for the challenges ahead by conferring specific spiritual gifts on each of us, unique to what he knows is ahead of us. Thirdly, Paul affirms that the spirit that God gives is not one of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. This is in verse seven there. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, self-control. And I believe Paul is here not referring to the Holy Spirit himself, but is describing the type of small s spirit that the Holy Spirit brings with him when he indwells us. And the first thing he says about this spirit is that it is not the spirit of fear. Adult responsibilities are daunting. Swapping our carefree childhood summers for clocking into a job year round is daunting. Making and keeping commitments to other people is daunting. Taking up the mantle of leadership is daunting. Submitting yourself to the leadership of others as an adult is daunting. The temptation to extend our adolescence into our 20s and 30s and even beyond is strong. Whether or not I have made mature adult commitments to marriage and family or to a demanding life in service to others It can be tempting even after that to check out, to center my life as much as possible around pleasure and entertainment, keeping God at arm's length. Whether we are bored, numb, disengaged from the call of God in our lives, or whether we are staring our calling right in the face and feeling paralyzed by what's ahead, we can take heart in the reality that this fear is not from God. By contrast, God's spirit is power. This power breaks through the numbness. It dissipates the fears of meaninglessness. Because it comes from God, we can be fearless about tackling things that demand more from us than we have in ourselves. We can initiate the hard conversation. We can endure the pain of being misunderstood. We can pursue a marriage partner. We can make the shameful confession. We can discern the truth. We can take a risk and fail and try again in the power of God's Spirit. We don't have to manufacture our own purpose, and we don't have to live into that purpose using only our own feeble resources. We are given power by the Spirit of God. God's Spirit is also love. When our own love is tepid and weak, we can receive the powerful love of God that both compels us forward and refines us as we go. Coming-of-age stories are love stories. Love is what draws us out of preoccupation with self, gives purpose to mundane tasks, gives courage to face those huge challenges of adulthood. I vividly remember the experience of waking up to care for the bodily needs of infants. It was a mundane necessity. Babies need to be fed. Wet and smelly diapers need to be changed. They're not exciting tasks. They are not intellectually stimulating, and there is little creative expression involved. These were inconvenient, exhausting, and often unpleasant tasks. At the same time, it is true that these mundane tasks were made not only meaningful, but joyful by love. Where there is love, there is joy in serving. That is true, whether it's in the more narrow context of marriage and family, where you enter a lifetime of service to the people in your household, and it's the same in the broader context of service in the household of God, where you commit to a lifetime of service in the church and in pouring yourself out for the life of the world. Our callings are little reflections of Christ's calling. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy of glorifying his Father in heaven and of reconciling us to himself in love. The love of Jesus for us and for his Father compelled him to face into the suffering and shame of the cross. And that same love coming from God compels us forward. And thirdly, the spirit of God is self-control. The spirit of power and the spirit of love are regulated and directed through self-control. And the word for self-control might also be translated as a spirit of prudence, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of a sound mind. In ourselves, we do not have the wisdom required to fulfill our calling. We don't have maturity. We don't have the experience, the spiritual or intellectual agility to navigate the demands of adulthood. Um, The promise of God is that he provides all of that for us with his spirit. This is the spirit we have been given as we go out, um, particularly in a world where Truth is cloudy and confusing and hotly contested. God gives us his spirit of wisdom. So God equips everyone he calls with faith and the community of faith with gifts specific to the call. And the spirit and the spirit of love, compelling love, wisdom, resilient power, wisdom adequate for the calling. All of these are gifts that we receive from God. They provide the relational, emotional, and spiritual support that we need to accept the challenges of our calling. They are essential gifts, and we need to receive them and rely upon them. But the reception of these gifts is not a passive activity. Coming of age, after all, is a move forward to embrace maturity, to embrace responsibility. It is an active reception. And so with these three affirmations, we receive an exhortation. This is tucked into verse six here. For this reason, Paul writes, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan the gift into flame. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't unpack what this means in any practical terms for Timothy. If I were Timothy and feeling unsure about things, I think I'd be asking Paul to spell out just what he means by fan into flame, the gift of God. But I suspect that this was intentional. This is not a prescription given. It's a checklist. It's not a checklist that Timothy can follow. Timothy is going to need to engage in the work of understanding what it means to fan the gift into flame. We are given this image, fan into flame, and left to kind of parse out what this means for ourselves. Looking at this imagery, I believe that fanning the flames of what we have received from God requires attention given and effort applied. Biologically speaking, boys and girls become men and women just as time passes, and it's possible to pass through our lives without attending to what the call of God might be on our lives. But if we are to fan into flame what we have received— we may do this work of attending to our lives and to the God who gave it to us. I think there are lots of ways to do that. I think it's another reason these, um, this description is not uh, specific. But I'm going to pick up on these threads woven in our text that keep referencing the community of saints, the role of the church. I love how this clouds of witnesses themes is woven into this coming-of-age text. We often alone in these coming-of-age moments. But we have all of these reminders of the community of saints, again, praying for us, cheering us on here and elsewhere in Scripture. So we have, again, in verse 3, Paul's referencing his own ancestors. In verse 5, he's referencing Timothy's spiritual lineage. And in verse 6, he references the power of the laying on of hands by our spiritual authority. Whether we are worn down and numbed out by mundane, meaningless tasks of adulthood, or whether we are facing scary challenges that we don't feel equipped to handle, the church is a gift of God here for us. This Lent, our exhortation is to lean into the sacramental life of the church. We take up the disciplines of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that we highlight in Lent. These train our attentiveness to God, and to our responsibilities to others. You can also ask your city group to help you personally discern the spiritual gifts that you've been given and discern the specific calling, the tasks ahead that God might be preparing you for. And of course, as Emmanuel leads us deeper and deeper into the adventure of evangelism and witness this coming year, we have a marvelous shared opportunity to grow up into a willingness to suffer shame for the sake of the gospel and the sake of love. But I want to explicitly encourage you to consider joining Emmanuel's confirmation course this coming year in the fall. Um, This past fall, about 35 adults began Emmanuel's first confirmation course, and next year we'll be offering the same course again, not only for our adults, but for our older youth as well. And in this course, we spend eight months praying, learning, and stretching our spiritual muscles um, in ways that strengthen, confirm our relationship with God. They strengthen our relationship to the church, and they prepare us for the laying on of hands by our bishop, Stuart Ruck, for the release of the Holy Spirit in our lives for witness and for mission. Now, when I was preparing for ordination as a deacon uh, just over a year ago, I was at that time working on setting up the confirmation course. And I was powerfully struck by the reality that the rite of confirmation is the ordination service for the layperson. My own ordination process involved practical learning and training for my calling it involved processing through several waves of fear and anxiety that I did not have what, I was the, what it took to serve um, in the life I was called to. And at the end, it offered an opportunity for my spiritual father, Bishop Stuart Ruck, to lay hands on me and to pray for the Holy Spirit to equip me for ministry ahead. All three of these experiences are available to every member of the body of Christ, not just those called to serve as clergy. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called into ministry. Every Christian is part of the priesthood of believers. Every Christian is a minister of the gospel. Every Christian is a witness to the gospel. And every one of us is called to make his or her life a living sacrifice in complete devotion to God. Doesn't matter where you live or what you do with your days, this is the call upon all of us. At every stage and in every age, we are invited to step up into the call of Jesus. In him, we have all we need to live lives full of power and love and the wisdom of the Spirit. We fan into flame the gifts that we've been given. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.